We're going to spend some time studying the Bible. So as I drag the pulpit across the stage, will you go ahead and open up a Bible if you have one? We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And we are in a series which we have called Ancient Faith. Ancient Faith. And so the idea as we study Hebrews chapter 11 is that we're seeing these Old Testament heroes of faith who were longing for a better home. They were looking forward to finally being with God. And so we are called by the author of Hebrews to see our similarities with these Old Testament saints. There is a lot of difference. And that's obvious, right? When we read our Old Testament, we can see the the gap culturally. We can see like there's this mysterious, weird stuff. Our story today from Genesis, it's weird. It's, it's distant. It's different culturally from us. But we are the same in the way that we depend on God by faith. We trust him. Our text will even say that that is how we please God, is by trusting him, by having faith in him. And so we'll see this week after week. All summer long, we're going to be looking at different heroes from the Old Testament. This week, it's Enoch. So we're calling the sermon this week, Enoch versus death. Enoch versus death. Enoch is a mysterious figure from the Old Testament. He's mentioned a couple of times in the New Testament. He's mentioned in the Old Testament. There are kind of weird, extra-biblical stories and books written about Enoch. Kind of Think of him as kind of like an action hero slash comic book hero of the Old Testament. There's just lot, lots of other mythologies written about him as those who bind ourselves to the authority of God's word, who believe that the Bible speaks with the authority and relevance of Jesus. Uh, we believe that the stories about Enoch in the Bible are true. And then there are all these other stories about Enoch floating around. We don't know about those stories. If you want to read them, go ahead and read them. But there's some weird stuff out there. Just know that we see the scripture as what is authoritative when we look at the life of Enoch. And even what we have in the scripture is pretty weird, okay? <laughs> we got a weird story that we're going to see today. And as I said, we're calling it Enoch versus death. And it's showing the contrast between Enoch's life and the consistent, regular brokenness of death that we all experience in the world. And so since it's kind of a serious subject, I thought we'd break the ice with with maybe a less serious story I wanted to share with you, something I heard years ago. Um, There was a guy whose dog brought to his front porch a dead rabbit. You know how animals will do, the dog brings the dead animal up to the porch and drops it on your front porch and he's so proud of himself, right? And so he's like, oh no, that's my neighbor's rabbit, right? So he's really bummed that his dog apparently has captured and killed the neighbor's pet rabbit. So the dog brings the rabbit up, drops it. Uh, So this man is like, oh man, he swats his dog. He takes the rabbit and he's thinking, you know what? My neighbor's on vacation. Maybe I could clean the rabbit up and put it back in its cage and he'll just think he died of natural causes, right? So the guy's kind of trying to cover his tracks. So He brings the rabbit, dead rabbit, into his house. He washes it. He shampoos it. He blow dries it, brushes its hair, fluffs it up again. The rabbit looks as good as a dead rabbit can look. And he takes the dead rabbit and he puts it back in the cage next door in his neighbor's backyard while his neighbor's out of town. Uh, And then, you know, a few days later, his neighbor's back from vacation. This guy's working out in his yard and just kind of acts casual. He's like, hey, how how was your trip? How did things go? And he's like, oh, you know what? We had a great vacation, but my wife has really been having a hard time sleeping since we got back. And he's like, really? What's wrong? And he said, well, our rabbit died before we left and we buried him in the backyard, but some, (laughs) some sicko dug him up and washed him and put him back in the rabbit hutch. And so I, I share that story, again, to, to break the ice, but also to illustrate 
this thing that we try to do, we try to cover up the horror of death, right? We try to, try to wash it away. We try to fluff it and blow dry it and, and make it better, but there's just no getting around the pain of death. There's no getting around the horror of death in this broken world that we live in. Well, our story is going to show us that, that Enoch actually had a way around death, and he had a spiritual way around death, and that was walking with God, trusting God by faith. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start in our text in Hebrews. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11, and we're just going to read a couple of verses where Enoch is introduced in the letter of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. And then we'll go back and look a little at the original story in Genesis. So Hebrews 11 is found on page 1007 in the Black Bibles there. We, we love to get you in the habit of opening up one of those. If you don't have one, you can take it home. You can keep that. We've got extra boxes of Bibles. So you can crack open one of those Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. It's page 1007. We're going to read about the faith of Enoch. So Hebrews 11, verses 5 and 6. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So again, week after week, we're going to see these examples of Old Testament faith. This one is particularly strange as we see Enoch, this mysterious figure who did not see death. He's different than all the rest of us in that way, but he points to a hope that all of us have. So let me pray for us and ask God to help us with this weird text. God, thank you for your word. We believe that you speak to us through it, uh, but sometimes the things we read are strange and they're, they're hard for us to understand. Uh, we pray for your spirit to meet us here that we would recognize that this is a a supernatural engagement with you, with your voice. We pray that you'd help us to hear you speaking through your word and that you would transform us by it, that you would make us a people of hope, a people of faith, a people that love others. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So again, we're calling it Enoch versus death. And the big idea is that we have this mysterious figure in Enoch Weird things happen to him, and as we look at Enoch, the only way we can fully make sense of that is with the fuller picture that we have in the New Testament of Jesus Christ, right? So we've got this guy that has faith that beats death in the Old Testament, and we're like, man, that's weird, and I can't answer all the questions you may have. I can't answer all the questions I have about all the mysteries of that text, but I do know that it points us to an important important lesson that Enoch had faith. We should also have faith. And that there's a sense in which we can also beat death. Maybe not the way Enoch did, but it does point us to these deeper lessons. And again, they find their fullest, ultimate reality in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who fully absorbed the weight of death. The cross is the story of Jesus taking the penalty of death that all of us deserve, that all of us owe to God. And Jesus paid that penalty in our place. But the story of Jesus is that After he died, he rose from the dead, proving that he has the power, as Hebrews says, the power of an indestructible life, that he conquered sin and death once and for all. The apostles would preach in the book of Acts that he is king of the universe, that he is proven by his resurrection that he has the right to judge the living and the dead. And so we look to Jesus as the one who has ultimately defeated death. But we start with the story of Enoch, one of these first figures to, in some way, mysteriously, 
beat death. So I have a simple outline, two parts. My two parts are, number one, grieve the regularity and horror of death. We should face it. We should grieve the regularity and horror of death and not try to just avoid it as we often do or blow dry it and fluff it, so to speak. Um, The second part of the outline is we should walk with God in the midst of death. Enoch's an example of someone with faith, someone who pleased God, someone who Genesis 5 will tell us walked with God in the midst of this world of brokenness and death. So first of all, we have to deal with death. We grieve it. We grieve its regularity. We grieve its horror. Secondly, we walk with God. We begin to apprentice ourselves to God. We follow Jesus, as the New Testament would tell us. So first point, grieve the regularity and horror of death. We want to turn back to Genesis 5 to see the consistent drumbeat, the rhythm, the regularity, the consistency of death in Genesis. Now we're going to look at Genesis 5, verses 1 through 24. I'm not going to read every single verse. We're going to kind of skim some of the repeated phrases in Genesis chapter 5. But I want to take us back and reset the stage. We're at the very beginning of the Bible. Remember Genesis 1 and 2, God created all things good. Remember, we were made to image God in the world. Some of that's going to be repeated at the beginning of Genesis chapter 5. It's going to uh, replay some of that language that Adam and his descendants, Eve, humanity, mankind, we're made to show the world what God is like. That's our purpose. That's why God put us on earth. But we have to remember that something terrible happened in Genesis chapter 3, something terrible that we replay in our daily life. And that is that Adam and Eve believed the lies of the serpent who said, that surely you will not die and that God does not want you to be independent. He's keeping something from you. So Adam and Eve believed that lie, reached out to say, we'd rather be independent from God. We don't want to trust God. We want to go against what God says and be our own gods. That's what Adam and Eve did. That's what we continue to do today. And when we do that, and when Adam and Eve did that, death entered in. Now, death is complicated because there's physical death and spiritual death. The Bible defines spiritual death as our separation from God. We have a broken relationship with God. We're we're no longer one with him in the same way. But there's also physical death. We look around and we have disease and we get old and things break down and people we love die, pets, rabbits die. There's a, a world of death and disease and brokenness. So both of those things run parallel together and they're both results of the fall. They're both results of... Mankind being separated from God. So here we pick up the lovely story in Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5 describes, again, going back, replaying. This is where it all began. Genesis 5, verse 1. If you're having a hard time finding it, just flip to the very beginning of your Bible, okay? Go to the very beginning of your Bible, and then this is the fifth chapter in the Bible. Genesis 5, 1 says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Remember last week, the first two kids that were told about were Cain and Abel. That all went terribly wrong and Cain decided to rebel against God. He murdered Abel. Well, now they're having another son. The lines are continuing. There's, there's more details on that story at the end of chapter four. But here we're kind of picking it back up. And in chapter five, they're saying, okay, here's this line of those who obeyed God in the line of Seth. Now it goes on, it says in verse four, the days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. 
Now, something unusual. Did anybody notice anything unusual here? Right? Most people we know don't live to be 930 years any longer, right? At least very uncommon. I don't know if we've got some medical doctors here. It doesn't happen very often any longer. Um, I can't explain that, right? There, there are a lot of conjecture that people make. Uh, some people make conjectures that, well, the, the pre-flood universe just operated differently. Makes sense. It's reasonable. But, you know, we just don't know. We don't know if that's the reason. Uh, others conjecture uh, that they were just closer to the original good creation. And so, like, you see death kind of wearing away at the full glory of humanity and everything we were made for and kind of wearing us down generation after generation. That's another understanding of, of maybe what's going on here, but we don't really understand uh, why or, or how this worked. We just believe that the Scripture is true. We, we believe that Scripture is telling us the truth when it says these weird and foreign things here. Um, one thing that is interesting is when scholars study ancient Sumerian texts, they see the same kinds of great, super long lifespans in, in other ancient civilizations. They, they also have flood stories, and they also say, yeah, people lived for hundreds and thousands of years before the flood. So that, that's kind of interesting, right? We, we don't necessarily give authority to these other um, writings, but we would say that's kind of interesting when they say the same kinds of things that the scriptures are saying. Something weird was happening in these generations before the flood. But here's the thing. The point in the text is not really how long they lived. The point in the text is that they died. That's the heartbreak, right? Like think of the healthiest person you know. Think of the most vital person you know. My, my former pastor growing up died a couple of years ago. He was just a vigorous, extroverted, outgoing guy. Just had this like zest for life. He was incredible and he died. Think, think of the strongest person you know. They're gonna die, right? We're, we're looking back at people that lived 930 years and they died. And that's the repeated story of chapter 5. So what I want to do now is I want to read the repeated words and leave out the names and numbers, just so you can focus on the pattern, okay? You can go back and read it on your own. I'm not hiding anything from you. It's just going to give you different names, the, the years they lived, the children they had. But there are repeated phrases over and over and over again. So here's how it goes. He had fathered, had other sons and daughters, thus all of his days were and he died. Let's, let's make this call and response. I want you to say, and he died, when it's your turn, okay? All right, I'll say it again. He fathered, had other sons and daughters, thus all of his days were, and he died. Next line. He fathered, had other sons and daughters, thus all of his days were, and he died. He fathered, had other sons and daughters, thus all of his days were, and he died. He fathered, had other sons and daughters, thus all of his days were, and he died. He fathered, had other sons and daughters, thus all of his days were, and he died. He fathered, had other sons and daughters, thus all of his days were, hold on, don't say it. We have a change in the text. Verse 24, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. He breaks the pattern. Do you think that's important? We got this repetition again and again. This dude lived for 900 years, but guess what? He died. This other guy lived for a thousand years. Guess what? He died. And that's the pattern again and again. They were fulfilling God's command to be fruitful, to multiply. They had children. They lived long lives. They built cities. They did things. And they died. Everything that God said was coming true. He said, if you betray me, if you turn from me, there will be death. And there is death. Many scholars would say that Genesis 
the whole book, but Genesis especially, these early stories, Genesis 1 through 11, is just all about the spread of sin and death. Like that, that is the glorious repeated theme. It's a little depressing, as I said. But what we're supposed to see here, I think, in the text is its regularity, but also its horror. There's an irony of death, right? They lived so long. They did great things. They knew God, yet they still died. And so we're supposed to kind of snap to attention when Enoch does something different. He, he breaks the pattern. We're supposed to zero in on that and say, wait, what happened with Enoch? Something was different with Enoch, right? Enoch walked with God, and he was taken. And God just took him home to be with him, which is, again, is crazy. The only other person that experienced something like that in the Bible is Elijah, right? And I think both of those characters are pointing to something greater even, which is Jesus Christ, who didn't go directly to be with the Father, but he descended into death. And he conquered sin and death once and for all. These guys had to do a detour, right? Jesus Christ whooped death. He defeated death for us. So that'll be more of our second point. I want to focus a little bit on death, though, before we move on. We haven't had enough time to talk about death, right? We want to talk about it a little longer. So my main idea is that we should grieve the regularity and horror of death. So some key texts are like in Romans. It says that we should rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. What does that mean? That means we need to fight the Christian culture instinct of when someone dies, say, they're there, everything's fine, it's going to be okay, they're in a better place. Is that true? Yes. And can we say that sometimes? Yeah, sometimes we can say that, but it's also appropriate to cry when someone dies because it's a horror, it's a heartbreak, it's sad. Christians should learn to be sad over sad things. It's a really important part of our emotional health. Now, this is a big problem among military folks. I don't know if any of y'all know anybody in the military, but I know a few people in the military. And this is a common issue, right? Because soldiers often deal with death by just pretending they're so tough, they'll never have to deal with it, right? Um, you can put skull and crossbones kind of things, you know, bumper stickers on your cars. There's this kind of cult of death. And I know some of you, you're like, I have to put that on my car because I'm a part of that unit and that's our logo, right? Or our <laughs> That's our motto. So I, I'm, I'm not saying you're in a cult, but I, I do think you got to watch out for that culture bleeding in. See the difference? Like you're not necessarily a cult member because you, you wear the, the Grim Reaper on your t-shirt because that's your, your company's, you know, logo or whatever. But you got to watch out for that culture that says you can be so tough that you can defeat death. It's just another version of this thing we see here of like, well, yeah, he lived to be 900, but guess what? He still died. 900 still wasn't enough years. Yeah, this guy's tougher than anybody I've ever known. But guess what? He still died. And so we have to recognize the horror of death. We, we have to be brokenhearted over death. We have to face it and grieve it. Christians are to grieve death. That's an important part of our growth in faith. We'll never really see how glorious the resurrection is if we don't admit that death is bad, Right? We've got to deal with it and hit it face on. So we've got to grieve the regularity. It's all around us, but also grieve the horror of, man, this is not right. This is the result of of Adam and Eve wanting to be their own gods. This is the result of me wanting to be my own God. This brokenness, this sin, this messed upness in the world, it all either comes generally from a broken world or directly to us, right? When bad things happen, it's not always your specific sin, right? Right? but it's always some kind of sin 
some kind of brokenness in the world that we live in. And we've got to grieve that. We've got to recognize that. We have to like pause and, and pay attention to it. I grabbed a picture here of some people singing at a funeral. This was actually Margaret Thatcher's funeral. So these are some, some royals. I think that's the queen there and some other important heads of state. What's fascinating is that they're all singing. Isn't that weird? Have y'all ever been to a funeral where people sing? Isn't that bizarre? That's a, that's a really bizarre thing that, that Christians do. Why do we do that? We sing because we're people of hope. So 1 Thessalonians 4 says we should grieve, but we shouldn't grieve as the world does without hope. And so that gives that tension of what it means to be a Christian. A Christian does have hope, right? That's, that's the side of us that's like, there, there, everything's going to be fine. There's a part of that that's true, right? If we hope in the resurrection. But we also are to grieve. So we grieve, we cry, but we also have hope. So at a Christian funeral, this is what it should look like. It should look like a really bizarre mixture of grieving and celebrating. Of like laughing and recounting good memories you had with somebody you loved, but then also crying because you miss them. Grieving the general brokenness of the world. The world is broken. We're sinners. There is death and disease. But celebrating that Jesus is conquering sin and death through his resurrection. That's a unique thing that we live with in Christianity, this tension of we grieve it, but we also celebrate and have hope and have faith and continue to trust God. So I wanted to give you a couple of ways to do this. Uh, Number one, I think it's really helpful if you're struggling with dealing with death in your own life, it's really helpful to, this is going to sound weird, to like try to be sad. Doesn't that sound weird? Um, I found that really helpful for me. A lot of us grow up in this culture where we try to avoid it. We try to be tougher than death. We try to not think about it, right? Uh, Think of it metaphorically. Death is like a dead rabbit, and we try to wash it and fluff it up and act like everything's fine, and we skip over the being sad. It's really important to grieve. That's why we have funerals, right? Um, Men, especially, this is something that you need to work on. We're bad at this, right? We tend to stuff our feelings. Um, It's really helpful, men, if you have a wife, they're good at, at helping you with this. Things like talking about feelings. It's a really good spiritual practice, okay? If you're sad, saying, I feel sad. You know, saying it out loud and processing these emotions. It's really important. If you don't have a wife, talk to your sister or talk to your mother. Say, can you, can you help me with this thing of, of saying my feelings out loud, right? It's an important thing for us to process. I joke, women, sometimes you struggle with this as well. All of us need to learn to do this. We need to learn to express out loud our sadness and our pain our grief, and our tears. We do that with people in community, right? We talk all the time as a church about joining a group. You need a a group of supporters that you can lean on and pray with. We also do that directly with the Lord. Prayer, we talk to Jesus. Say, Jesus, help me. Help me, Jesus. I think it's also helpful to kind of burst the dam, so to speak, through music and literature. Uh, I found this helpful in my own life, a lifetime of trying to deny my feelings and then realizing, oh, God wants me to actually be honest about how I'm feeling. Sometimes it's helpful to just listen to a sad song, right? Or read a sad story. My wife was reading a story to us the other day, great book by Wendell Berry called Jaber Crow. There's this surprise death in the story. We were all choked up, right? While we were reading it, it, it kind of got you right there. Literature and music is good like that. It it sneaks up and and actually enables us to feel the things that we've spent our whole life trying to avoid, and that can be helpful. But the goal is not to just feel it, not to just express it. It's not just catharsis. The goal is to bring it to God. So again, we want to bring it back to our prayer life. We we talk about it with friends. 
Uh, We express it out loud. You might even journal your feelings of grief and sadness, but bring it to the Lord. And the Psalms is the best example of that. In the book of Psalms, you you see people expressing their pain and their hurt and their anguish and their frustration. And then they say, yet I will hope in you, God. And that's a pattern for us. Pray through the Psalms, sing the Psalms, journal the Psalms. So 1 Thessalonians 4 is a fascinating passage because it talks about how we grieve, but we don't grieve like the world does without hope. So we grieve, but we, we grieve with hope. We still have hope that God is good, and we see that pattern played out in the Psalms. But then 1 Thessalonians 4 also goes on to talk about this reality that Christians will enjoy that's similar to Enoch. It says, we'll be caught up in the air when Jesus returns. Have y'all ever heard about this? There's been all kinds of like weird movies and books written about this where I think it's sometimes taken too far. We don't really understand what that moment's going to look like, but it's still our hope, right? Our hope is seeing Jesus. So Paul goes on to say in 1 Thessalonians 4 that those who are dead, their hope isn't gone. They're going to rise from the dead to meet Jesus. And those of us who are alive, when Jesus comes back, it's our hope. We're going to rise up, be caught up, right? It's a very similar language to what happened to Enoch. He was just caught up. And so we deal with death, we grieve with death, we face death, we mourn over death, we weep over death, and yet we have hope that we're going to be caught up face-to-face with Jesus, the one who ultimately conquered death for us. That's our hope. And this leads us then to the next point, which is walking with God. We are called to walk with God in the midst of death. So we got this world where death is just happening all around us, right? Again, the Genesis 5 thing is like, He lived, he died, he lived, he died. He did this, he died, he died, he died. And then you've got Enoch in the midst of this walking with God. Enoch stands out. Enoch is weird, right? Um, I was kind of joking, all these weird other stories have been written about Enoch. I think the reason all these other weird stories are written about Enoch is because Enoch is weird, right? He stands out as one who is going in a different direction. Any of you ever uh, been driving down a street and then you see a car going the wrong way? Has that ever happened to you? It's terrifying, isn't it? There's a sense in which that's what Christians should look like. We should stand out, right? Not in the sense of like killing people on the street, but in the sense of going in a different direction, right? Everybody else is going this way. And he died and he died and he died. And we're going this way, walking with God. It's a different direction. Let's, let's read the Hebrews text again. Hebrews 11:5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he's not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. This is really important language. If we trust in God, God is pleased with us. Do you know that? Do you know that because Jesus absorbed the wrath of God, because Jesus took your punishment, because Jesus took your place, because Jesus gives you resurrection life, God is pleased with you. God delights in you. God loves you. He's restored your relationship. God truly is your heavenly father who is pleased with you if you have faith in God, if you trust him. That's the story of Enoch. That's what it looked like for him to walk with God, to go in a different direction. So there's harsher language about Enoch and Jude. In Jude 14, it says, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, the seventh son, prophesied. And this is what Enoch said when he prophesied during his lifetime. He said, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000s of his holy ones. So angels are coming. He says, to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly. So apparently Enoch was a a preacher, a prophet who was saying, 
And watch out, judgment is coming. So we've got this picture of Enoch pleasing God by faith. He trusted God and God delighted in him as his good son. We also have this picture of Enoch saying, guys, you're going in the wrong direction. Like ungodliness is going to produce more death. It's just going to cause more problems. And what happened a couple of generations later, we're going to see next week in the life of Noah. A friend of mine's coming in to preach the Noah story. God judges the whole world, right? Things got worse and worse. But Enoch was one who was walking in a different direction. He walked with God. He said, guys, don't go that way. Don't pursue death and pleasure and rebellion against God. Pursue God. So walking with God is this metaphor that appears again and again in Scripture. And and I just want to lay out, I think, three pieces that are important for us to understand it. Number one, walking with God implies a new direction. So our artwork for the ancient faith is this path, right? And, And this is a metaphor in the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is when you start following God, you're going in a new direction, right? I was going this way. I was just being selfish. It was all about me. And then I saw the goodness of God and the gospel, and I started going this way and following God. So walking with God implies you're going in a new direction. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you never sin again. It just means now I'm following God, right? We, we've had our, our baby granddaughter with us, and she's a toddler. And there's this thing that happens, you know, toddlers are not great at walking, right? And so sometimes they fall down. And what happens when they fall down? Do we say, how dare you fall down? I can't believe you made that walking mistake. Is that what we say? No, none of you say that. If you say that, I'm going to report you, okay? (laughs) We don't say that to toddlers. When the toddler falls down, we're like, it's okay, honey. Come on, get up. You can go. You can do this, right? We encourage them. We help them keep going. Same thing with walking with God. We're going in a new direction. Doesn't mean we're perfect. Doesn't mean I never make a mistake again. I still sin. I still stumble. What do I do? I get back up and I keep walking, right? Which kind of leads to the second picture of what walking with God is repeatedly throughout the Old Testament. Walking with God, don't look at that picture. Walking with God, (laughs) repeatedly throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament, walking with God is obeying God. So it is actually doing what he says. So there's this idea of direction, right? Like I'm going towards God. He's that way. I'm following him. But there's also like I'm doing the kinds of things God does, right? Uh, The image of God is being restored. Colossians picks this up, the the image of the creator being renewed in us. We're we're made to reflect the image of God. That's where Genesis 5 started out with, right? We're we're supposed to reflect the likeness, the image of God. That's what we're made for. Only through Christ can we begin to do that again. So we get up and we walk and we obey and we do what God's law says. We do what he tells us to do. Now we can put up the cool picture. Now, this cool picture is from an action movie I like. This is a, uh, <laughs> it's kind of a silly action movie. It's this spy who gets talked into training this little girl into how to be a spy. He's afraid he'll lose his job as a spy because she's blown his cover. And so she's like, okay, you have to show me how to be a spy. And so one of the things that's important, I don't know if you know this, if you want to be a spy or an action hero, guys in the military, you probably go to a class for this already, is how to walk away from an explosion and not look back, right? So is that like a school that soldiers go to too? I'm not sure. Um, But he's like, yeah, this is just a basic thing of being a hero. You walk away from the explosion and you don't look back, right? It's like, there's craziness back there. I'm leaving it behind me. And I want you to have that image when you think about what it means to walk with God. You want to have a single-mindedness, right? I'm pursuing God. Is there all kinds of craziness happening? Yes. Is stuff blowing up? Yes. Is the back of my neck, the fire, singeing the hairs back there? Yes, right? 
It's dangerous. The world is a world of death. It is a world of heartache. See point one. Grieve it. Admit it. Be honest about it. Deal with it. Take it to the Lord. But keep walking with God. Do you hear that? Keep walking with God. He's worth it. See, here's the danger. When the explosion goes off behind you, you're tempted to think, oh, maybe, maybe I did the wrong thing. Maybe I'm going the wrong direction. Maybe I shouldn't follow Jesus because life is hard. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Translation, he said, this world will be hard. Things will blow up. Keep walking with me. He's calling you to follow him, to trust him. And so the third thing I think it's important for us to understand about walking with God is the picture of relationship. He's with you. You're not on your own. So there's a sense in which God's over there and you're pursuing him, right? And there's a sense in which walking is actually obeying him. Deuteronomy says that again and again. To, to walk with God is to obey his statutes. But this third piece that the New Testament helpfully hammers home, but is also foreshadowed in Genesis, God walking with Adam and Eve. The idea is that God is with you. He loves you. He delights you. He's adopted you into his family. So don't forget that part. When the cancer diagnosis comes, or when the betrayal happens, or when you lose all your money, or you lose your job, when things fall apart, when things are blowing up, you say, well, but God is with me. And this doesn't change that he is with me. And if you're feeling afraid, if you're feeling scared, then you call out to him because he loves you. If you're not sure if he loves you, you look back to the reality of the cross where God proved his love for you. He said, if you're not sure if I love you, look at what I did for you. I, God says he left the comforts of heaven and he came after us. He, he came into this world of death. He took death upon himself and he beat it. Right? And so that, that's the beautiful thing about how we have these mysterious stories in the Old Testament with Enoch, with Elijah, of these dudes who beat death, right? How'd they beat death? They trusted God. God just snatched them up. So in a, in a way, that's a picture of, of what might happen if Jesus returns and we haven't died yet. We'll just get to go be with him, right? Cool. That's great. But I think even better, it should remind us of the one who beat death by going through death for us. Jesus Christ actually died. It wasn't like Superman who could never get hurt. He was hurt for us. He was tempted in every way as we were, yet without sin, Hebrews 4 says. And so look to Jesus as the, the final proof that you have a restored relationship with God. Faith is trusting in God's goodness in those moments where everything is blowing up and catching on fire. It's saying, like we saw a couple of weeks ago, I see God in creation. He made all things. He must be good. And then secondarily, we look to the specific revelation of the cross and say, man, everything's blown up. Everything's scary, but I see that Jesus took sin and death upon himself. He died for me. He came after me. He loved me first. So therefore, I will love him. I will trust him. I'll keep walking with him, even when things get difficult. So again, Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. What does that mean? That means if you draw near to God, if you seek God, he will reward you. He's not going to say, how dare you? He's going to say, oh, you're not good enough. No, he paid the price to open the door for you. 
He's saying, come in, seek me, run after me, come to me. He's inviting you into his presence. That's what grace means. We can never earn it. It's a free gift that God gives to us. And it's displayed in the cross. So to wrap up here, we see Enoch versus death. The Enoch story is a weird story. It's a mysterious story. Feel free to go back and read it more. You'll just walk away again going, this is a weird story, right? It's a weird story. The other stuff we get in the rest of scripture, it's weird. But it points to someone who walked with God by faith and beat death. And it's to remind us of the one who ultimately beat death, Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection. The way Hebrews describes it is the power of an indestructible life. Jesus died for you. And he invites you to draw near to him. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you love us and you have proven your love by coming after us in Christ. Help us to continue to draw near to you, to continue to pursue you and to continue to walk with you, even in the midst of everything falling apart. God, you know our fears. You know our worries. You know right now in this room, Lord, people are carrying burdens that they feel are too heavy to carry any longer. So God, we give those to you. We cast our cares on you because you care for us. We ask for your help and we pray that you would meet us in our pain so that we can continue to walk with you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.